the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them up now to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to begin a two-part series. You know, when you teach the Bible, you're going to find that the Bible, as it goes verse by verse, that there's some tremendous truths in the Bible. And let me remind you that the Bible is not a book designed to take away our fun or to hinder us, but actually it's a book to enhance our relationship with Him and with others as well. And I like teaching the Bible from a life application way because the Bible is meant to help us to understand it, first of all, through our minds so we understand it correctly, but then also to help us to go through our spirit and then our life. And I trust that that'll happen for us all today. This morning's message is called How to Pray More Effectively for Others. Let me tell you a little bit about prayer and my own experience of prayer. I grew up in a non-Christian home. Most of you that are a member of this church know that, but we never said grace. We never said thank you, Lord. We never went to church, never opened our Bible. So I had virtually no real Bible teaching. Occasionally in the summertime, we lived in a very hot part of the mainland, and so mom would kind of get me out of the house for two weeks, and she sent me to a place called Vacation Bible School. How many remember them? Well, this one happened to be a little air-conditioned in those days, so she just kind of kicked me out and had me go there like a babysitter. But there was something unique, even through that Vacation Bible School. Honestly, I cannot tell you all that I learned except this. There was an understanding of of the existence of God, the importance of the Word of God, and knowing God's word. So something happened. So there was this God consciousness that was awakened within me that through the spirit. So as a little boy, I began praying long after vacation Bible school closed for the summer. So there was this, this kind of talk with God that I had. Well, my first prayer that I really remember where God seemed to be more in my life was as a seven-year-old boy, I had a a bicycle. I don't know how I got that bike. Maybe it was a gift. Maybe it was someone that was a hand-me-down, but I had a bicycle. And you that do know me know that I'm not very mechanically inclined. In fact, if you see a wrench or a hammer in my hand, get it out as fast as you can, all right, because I'm going to do damage with it. But I remember I had my bike, and my chain came off my bike. You know, it has those sprockets, and the chains come out. The chain came off. And so what you do is you lean it over, and I tried to get it up, and I did everything I could to get it on it. And then the more I tried to pedal the bike upside down to try to reseat the chain, the more it got tangled inside the back spoke where the brakes were. Just the whole thing was messed up. And the more I tried to get it apart, now my hand is greasy, my my bike is greasy, and I jammed it in there so tightly I couldn't even remove the chain. So now my bike virtually was useless to me. And that broke my heart because that was my only little way to kind of get away from the house and go do things. So I looked at this bike, and this is my very first prayer that I remember. I said, oh, God, would you please fix my bike somehow so I could ride it again? And I'll be quick to tell you, 
for whatever reason, my bike did not get fixed. The chain didn't miraculously kind of come back on the sprocket. So I, as a seven-year-old boy, took my bike and I drug it to a little storeroom that my dad had in the backyard. I just, you know, dragging along the dirt and the gravel and put it in the room and I figured the bike was going to be no good. About two or three days later, I had the, uh, the prompting, I might say, to go get my bike out and Uh, You know I'm a little competitive, so I said, I'm going to see if I can fix this again. So when I pull my bike out, I cannot explain. I'm not woo-woo-woo, but my chain was all on my bike, my sprockets. The bike was completely fixed. Now, some of you are going, wow, that's really great. It's highly likely that my dad went in there for a rake, saw my bike in a crumpled up pile, and he fixed it. But the bottom line is, I went to the Lord and he did something for me to make himself real by answering a prayer of mine, however he chose to bring it about where my bike was fixed. What that did for me is it, I guess it was more glue into my relationship with him to let me know that yes, I can ask God for things and yes, God could hear my prayers and he could at times choose to answer them when I had a particular need. Now I'm saying that as I lead into this. It seems like when we are a baby Christian and we're entering into our talk with God about things, that most of our requests tend to be about things that relate to us. I'll be honest, I can't remember praying for my sister. I can't remember praying for the lost people overseas, but I can tell you I prayed for my bike that it would get fixed. As I've matured in my faith, I have learned the importance now that it is okay to pray for ourselves. Paul did that. But there are times, though, that we need to begin thinking about the needs of others and to begin praying for them. And generally, now, your prayer for other people sometimes is like, I pray for them because if their life is better, then they'll make my life better. You go back over memory lane. Is that sometimes the way we pray for others? Get my husband right because he's messing up my life. You know, get my boss right because they're messing up my work life. And so we begin to pray for others because of what it really does more for us. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but that's probably an immature or a weaker motive if that's the only kind of praying that we will pray for others. And so we're in a beautiful part of Scripture that I believe that I can extrapolate from it some principles by looking at a model of how Paul prayed for the Philippians, how he talked about prayer and what he prayed for them. But there's so much rich principles listed in here that I needed to do it in two Sundays. So I'm laying the groundwork for us to do this now as we go into this material, because both messages are really one built upon another. So the first I need to do is to explain a little bit about prayer. You heard me say often here that prayer is a lot more than asking God for things or asking and receiving like John R. Rice says in his classic book on prayer. It's a great book to read. It's important for us because prayer is often we ask and we get. That scripture talks about that. But really prayer ought to be higher than that. Prayer ought to be developing an intimate relationship with the Lord by communicating with him. So while we're praying for things, and I might add this, the reason we're praying for things is because the Lord either permitted or prescribed things, events, or people to come against us where we sense a need. We can't resolve this issue or this need ourselves, so we have to go to the Lord. So by doing this asking and receiving, It's helping us to develop a relationship with him. So it's not as much about getting things or getting people right, although there's a residual part of that, as much as it is developing an intimacy with God. 
So we're going to talk about how to effectively pray for others. So if you will, in your mind right now, do you know of anyone that would be perhaps parents for you kids, perhaps some of your kids, either at home, or your adult kids, maybe someone at work, someone in your community, a relationship that you have with someone. Now think about it, that you know that their life is probably not where it ought to be. And you've done probably about as much as you can. You've talked yourself to death. You've, you've encouraged them. You've done what you could. And their life isn't changing, and you know that it should. How many of you know someone like that, that you know their life isn't where it could be and should be? I I know people like that, and some of you could look at me like that. I I know my life needs to change. So there may be some things in here that you might find praying for your pastor as well. But we all know people that their lives could be a little bit more um, pleasing to the Lord if they would change. Now, before we launch into, Lord, get them right with God or get them gone kind of thing, we have to answer another question. How do I get my prayers answered regardless of for whom or for what I am praying? How do I get my prayers answered? And we might say in the affirmative, yes. Or why is it that I have been praying for so many others and their lives aren't changing and I'm praying for needs that I have and I'm not getting them? There may be a thermometer that you could now use in the uh, the health of your prayer life. And so what I'd like to submit to you right now are about eight principles that are found in Scripture that directly speak to the concept of praying. And so we're going to call this prayer principles to effective praying. So if you'd like to follow along, we're taking most all of this from the words of Jesus or from the apostles as they speak to us about how to pray for others. So here's number one. We need to do what is known as praying in faith. We need to pray in faith. And let me quickly say that's not so much a name it and claim it. In other words, I want it. If I name it and I claim it before God, I get it. It's almost like like the Lord is the genie in a bottle and if we rub it long enough and we speak to that genie in a commanding voice that that genie is going to do what we want. God doesn't serve us. We serve him. But as we serve him, he gives it back to us and he says, all right. He says, without your faith, it's impossible to please me. So if you want to please me in your request, you have to then believe that I'm listening to you and that I'm a grantor of your request. Another verse in scripture says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So here's your question. When I do ask for the Lord, am I believing that he's listening to me? Am I believing that he is the one who could answer this request? Am I trusting in him that he is in control of this situation and I give it to him? Let's look at the verse here in Mark 11:24. Jesus says... Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. You might want to underline that phrase, believe that you receive them. In other words, you believe that God is a grantor of your request and that you'll receive them. All right. Number two, praying persistently. It's important for us to pray persistently. Sometimes what the Lord does in our life is when we do make that initial request, Instead of quickly granting that request, it's quite possible that he withholds it from us so that we would continue to linger in prayer so that our relationship goes deeper and deeper and deeper as we do this. So it's that persistence in prayer. So some of you, God might be testing to see if you really care enough about that person's life to change that you'll pray longer for them rather than a quick little prayer and then walk away from it. Look at it here in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 and 10. And Jesus again says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Let me show you a little word play here for a second. 
If you will, look at that verse again. You see the word ask? Would you underline the letter A in the word ask? So it says, if you ask, you'll receive. And then it says, it'll be given to you. Then it says, seek. Underline the letter S in the word seek. So if you seek, you will find this. And then you see the word knock. Underline the first letter K in the word knock. And so now what you have is A-S-K, which is the word ask in that. Now, I found something else as I meditated on this passage. I thought a great deal about this one because we don't want to use what is known as vain repetitions. These would be little mantra-type prayers that we pray to the Lord like little things over and over and over and over and over again, like rote things. No, this is a heartfelt request to the Lord, like you're asking your friend again and again, but not a little rote, little memorized speech to him. Look what it says here. It says, for everyone who asks, receives. So let's pause for a moment. How many of you are experiencing a particular need in your life? So if you ask, you'll receive. In other words, whatever that need is, the Lord will meet that need. So if your friend right now is needing something, you ask on behalf of your friend, and God says, I'll meet that need. Then it says, and he who seeks will find. So I got thinking, what would I lose? Well, if I can be so funny as this, how many of you have lost a set of keys or lost some glasses this last year or so? Anybody have done that? That doesn't mean you haven't found them, but you've lost them. How many of you lost and found them? I have to tell you, I don't know if it's a man thing, and I don't want to marginalize you men, but I have a tendency to lose things. My Bible says that if I seek him, I will find him. If I seek that which I need in prayer, God will reveal that to me. So maybe some of you are needing direction, wisdom. You're having to make a decision on God's will for your life. If you're seeking what he wants, you pray that. That's a biblical prayer. God will respond to that. And then the word knock there. I thought that was interesting because it says knock and it will be open. Maybe some of you are in need of a particular opportunity that you feel like your business might be shutting down and you need maybe the Lord to open up that opportunity. Some of you young people are saying, I would really like to serve the Lord on a particular team. Maybe you're asking the Lord now to open up a way so you can have that opportunity. Some of you are needing God to open up a door for housing, maybe for a job, maybe for something special. But in all cases, it's a persistence that he wants because as we persistently go to him, We're seeking him and we realize he's in control. When he responds to us by answering these, it draws us to a spirit of gratefulness. Oh, God, thank you. All right, let's go to number three, praying in the authority of Jesus' name. That's an interesting phrase. If you listen to most Christians as they pray today, have you ever noticed how when they finish their prayer, how how do most Christians when they pray finish their prayers? What did they say, everyone? In Jesus' name, amen. It's almost like an obligatory letting everybody know, I'm finished. In Jesus' name, amen. It's almost like letting the Lord know. Okay, Lord, I'm letting you know. I've quit talking to you. Jesus' name, amen. And I'm now engaging in my other life. You might not say that, but in a sense, why do you say in Jesus' name, amen? Have you ever asked that question? Why do you at the end of thanking the Lord for this food, Lord bless this food, in Jesus' name, amen? Have you ever asked yourself, why do you really do that? Well, it's because everybody's done that before, because I see the phrase in the Bible. Technically, it's more than just a sign-off like uh, sincerely yours, and you sign your name at the end of a letter. It's more than that. Now, do you have to end your prayers with, in Jesus' name, amen? Not necessarily. But what is important for your prayers to be answered, yes, is that when you do pray, you're praying in the authority of Jesus' name. In other words, you're asking God the Father 
to grant your prayer as if Jesus himself has taken that prayer to God the Father in the authority of Jesus' name. And because you've been accepted in the Beloved One and your prayer, hopefully, is biblical, it's with the right motive, it's to bring glory to the Lord, it is a prayer that Jesus could have prayed. It's your prayer, but it's a prayer he could pray, so it's in the authority of his name. So when you have lunch today and you end your grace and you say in Jesus' name, Think a little bit more deeply. Are you praying in the name of Jesus? Now, pause for a second. When you start realizing that as you go to the Lord and pray to him, and you now know that you have to do it in the authority of Jesus Christ, what might happen then is you might think twice about, is this really a request that is godly? Is it really the right request? Is this something I should be praying about? So you're praying in the authority of Jesus' name. And I'll add one little caveat with that. It's an idea of praying with confidence, too, when you pray in the name of Jesus, confidently. All right, let's go to number four, praying according to God's will. Praying according to God's will. Here it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And then it goes on to say, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You might want to underline that phrase, according to his will right now. All right, now you sense a need in your life. And that need is so that someone else's life might change. You love that person. You know that something needs to be different in their life. And so as you experience that, as you're praying, you might pray in his will. Now, when you pray in his will or according to his will, you can change the word will now. And you could put the word word according to his word. So what you're praying now is what that person needs. Is it what God believes that person needs? So you're praying in his will is according to his word. So you're praying in his will. Number five, praying by actually making a request. It's interesting how that sometimes we want people's lives to change for the better. But if you really ask them, have you really prayed for them that their life would change? Now, young people, let me just speak this to you a little bit. You're at the front end of learning how to develop this relationship with the Lord. You're probably a little bit on the front end of seeing that others have a need to change their lives. And some of you are now to the point that uh, you know that their lives do need to change, but you might ignore it. You might feel too embarrassed to help them along. And you might even forget that you too can have a relationship with the Lord that you might be able to pray for that other person. So what I'd like to bring before you right now is... Why don't you do pray for things to happen in your life? Pray for that other person, but actually ask God. So my question is, have you prayed about it? Not just generally prayed about it, not thought about praying about it, not talked about praying about it, but have you really gone to the Lord with a broken and a contrite heart, giving the authority back to the Lord as sovereignly in control of your life and humbly make that request to him? Have you spelled it out to him? Have you actually asked God? So let me encourage you to put in your life this prayer time where you're talking to him and asking him. And this verse says you have not because you basically have not asked. Number six, praying with the proper motives. Sometimes we pray, but our motives may not always be right. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Now, this is not a problem of young people. It's a problem of everybody. Sometimes we want more money, don't we? Or we want more things. And sometimes it's because we like to have it ourselves or because others have it. And then we begin to massage those motives to try to make them right or justify those motives when deep within us, we have to go deep. Is this what I'm asking for right? Is it godly? Will it 
further his kingdom? Will it be better for the other person? And so is our motive right when we pray? So you have to ask yourself, I've got to go deep in my motives. Why am I really praying for this? Is it just to consume it upon my own pleasure? All right, number seven. Now, this is spoken to those who are Christian now, praying with a healthy marriage relationship. And this is an important one because sometimes your prayers may not be answered because there are still rift. Now, an unhealthy marriage doesn't mean that you're sleeping in separate bedrooms or that you're meeting with an attorney for a divorce. An unhealthy marriage may mean that there's a lacking of, of intimacy. I'm talking about emotional, spiritual intimacy, not just the, the sexual type. And so there's a lack of healthiness in your relationship. There may be unforgiveness. There may be issues in there. And I have to tell you that um, I work on that today. Carol and I had words on our way to church today. And when we got to church, I'm so glad you weren't here. And I know that probably shocks all of you, but we've had words occasionally. And um, that's because Carol is wrong. No, 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 no. It's because I sometimes I... I I have a wild hair and I'm not filled with the spirit. And I may be smiling about it right now, but I want you to know that when it's happening, you're not smiling. And even right now, when I think about that, it really chokes me up because she's my best buddy and we need each other and we need the specialness of that. And so when you start getting your eyes on your selfishness and you start separating, it really kills you. And so from the time we got to church until... I can get my attitude right. It took me about an hour. You know how you have to settle down when it's really percolating and you're passionate like I am? Passionate can also be bad. And so finally my attitude was calming down and I was able to think with my mind that Stan, you're a jerk. It's your fault. And how I respond was stupid. And then I'm going over my notes here and I'm realizing husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. You didn't really understand your wife and what the issue is about. It's not important. And sometimes it's it's the small things that trip you. It's not the big things. Then it says giving honor to your wife. And I thought, well, I do it in word, but did I do it in my heart? As the weaker vessel. Not that she's so weaker, but that she's sensitive. As being heirs together in the grace of life. Yeah, I, I got that. But we weren't together in the grace of life. And we're supposed to be as being heirs together. Then it killed me right there. Can you look at that? It says that your prayers be not hindered. If my prayers are hindered, it's because my relationship with the Lord is hindered, not with Carol. But the reason my relationship with the Lord is hindered is because a relationship with someone else, and in this context, my wife was hindered. So all of a sudden now, I don't have a wife problem as big as a God problem. And so then I had to, um, some of you saw us as we were getting started. I said, I got to talk to you outside. And I said, Carol, I really love you. Do you have anything you want to say to me? And she chuckled. She said, nope. And I said, I said, I have to tell you, I am really, really sorry. I, I was way off base, and I am so sorry for this. And my wife was very quick to forgive. I mean, and she said, this is what you did wrong now. I mean, she wasn't like, oh, don't worry about it. It was like, you blew it. And I said, yeah, I know, I know. And then she said with a twinkle in her eye, I knew you'd come to me before you preached. I just knew you would because you wanted to have the fullness of God. Now, some of you are out there and you're so embarrassed because you're hearing your pastor air some dirty clothes right now. I don't want you to have me up in any pedestal. And I will not do that very often. And I pray that I don't have to do that very often because I won't do what I did. But I do want you to know that having an intimacy with God is essential. And there are so many people that have needs around us and they need us to pray for them so their lives would change. And if we don't get things right in human relationships, especially in a marital one, according to this point, 
We've ruined it with God. We're hindering others, perhaps, in some measure from our blessing to pray them to their breakthrough point. And so why don't you take a moment and ask yourself, whatever we had a spat with with our mate, is it really worth hindering a relationship with God? So just ask yourself that. Number eight, and that is praying with an obedient life. Praying with an obedient life. This is kind of like the rubber meets the road verse right here. It says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. We've already talked about that. But it says, because we keep his commandments. Would you circle the phrase, keep his commandments? That's in a particular tense where we have decided to submit ourselves to the word of God in obedience. We want to know it. We want to know it to apply it. And apply it would be defend it, proclaim it, teach it, live it, share it however we want to do it, but we want to be people of the book. So it's a continual thing. Put a number one by that. Then number two, it says, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And I like that last phrase, in his sight, realizing that whatever we do, we are naked and open before him in his sight. He hears us, he sees us, and all the rest. And so if I keep his commandments and I choose to do those things pleasing in his sight, then when we ask, we'll receive. So folks, While we could talk a lot about prayer, what makes you think that God is going to be so quick to grant us our request when we're not living a godly, holy life? Now, that that may hit you spiritually, intellectually, academically. Let's, Let's bring it back to our real world right here. Kids, when you're acting like like you shouldn't act and you're kind of bad and you're mouthy to your mother and you didn't do what you were told to do. In fact, you even went overboard. You did things that you know you shouldn't do. And your mom and dad know that. If you go to your mom and dad in the midst of you getting into trouble and you said to your mom and dad, Mom, can I have $5? The youth is going here. Or Dad, would you mind driving me to the mall because everybody's going to... What do you think the response of your mom and dad are going to be? You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.